Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be finishing up this series, short series through this epistle of Peter. And just as a reminder, Peter uh, is writing to a bunch of people that have been exiled or that are considered exiled there in the land of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If you don't know where that is, that's basically Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So Peter is writing a letter, most likely from a jail there in Rome, to these saints in Turkey. And he's writing to them to encourage them as they continue to grow in their faith in the midst of suffering and pain and persecution. And so uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You hear what he's saying? The assumption is that these saints are suffering. They're struggling with something, and he's encouraging them to continue to grow in their faith, to not give up, to not throw in the white towel, continue to pursue Jesus, continue to rest in his love. And so this morning, we're going to close out this book looking at a promise from God, an important promise that he wants these saints to land on, to rest their hearts in as they continue down this path of uh, struggling and suffering. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll read the whole chapter and then we'll pray for us and we'll jump in. So this is God's word for us this morning. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of of these, the world that then existed was deluged, deluged with the water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for for and hastening the coming of the day of of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn." But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our brother, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, as they, do the whole, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that this is your word, not simply words about you, but true words, your words for us this morning. And so we ask that you would open up our minds, soften our hearts to receive it by faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The lyric goes like this. I want to be there when the darkness closes in to make the truth a little clearer. In 2003, I was working for a ministry called RUF at the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, uh, and we uh, had a tragedy happen in our our group. We had a young lady, a sophomore, die in a car accident. And at that time, the campus minister uh, was a man by the name of Les Newsom. Some of you all know Les and been influenced by his ministry as I have. Well, several weeks later, after this tragic event, we had had the funeral and the dust had settled and we met as a staff for a staff meeting to talk about just the sadness and the grief that our students were going through thinking about losing one of their friends. And I'll never forget sitting in Les's office and him looking at me and saying this, Parker, if I ever have to walk that path of losing a child, I'm going to need you as my friend to do one thing for me. And that's remind me over and over again of what I believe and what I've preached. Because in that moment, I am absolutely certain the darkness and the suffering and the doubt is going to be so very thick that I'm going to struggle to see or even believe in the promises of God. The lyric is, I want to be there when the darkness closes in to make the truth a little clearer. This lyric comes from a song entitled Banks by a band called Need to Breathe. And it sums up really, I believe, the heart of Peter as he's writing this third chapter in 2 Peter. You see, the darkness has settled in on these saints. They're struggling. They're experiencing all kinds of persecution, maybe from inside and outside. We heard last week from false prophets entering in and exploiting them teaching them heresies, leading them away. Not to mention that they are Christians in a foreign land that's worshiping God that other gods don't like. So you can imagine the persecution that they might feel for being Christians there in modern-day Turkey. And what does Peter want? He wants to awaken their minds and their hearts to the reality of what they believe and what they profess. Because no doubt when all of us experience suffering or trials, sometimes we can grow numb. Our hearts, our, our souls can be asleep to the promises of God. And we focus, we become myopic. 
I'm fixed on our suffering and on what's happening inside of us. And Peter is saying, no. In your darkness, I want to make it clear that God's promises are true. And so he wants to nail down one promise, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. He's trying to awaken their sincere minds. He tells us that in verse 1. Look, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them I'm stirring up in you. That sense of stirring up, of awakening, awakening from a slumber. Stirring up in your sincere mind what's happening. The truth. Now, Peter's audience are not the only ones that have suffering and struggle and experience darkness. We too, this morning, know what that feels like. Some of us have attended too many funerals for children recently in our church and in our relationships. The darkness at times is closing in. Some of us know recently how a spouse has betrayed us, been unfaithful, and we're in shock. We feel like we're walking through life in a disembodied state. The pain of betrayal that has shattered your marriage is overwhelming to you. And you know what it feels like when the psalmist in chapter 88 says, darkness is my only friend. The darkness is closing in. Some of us are battling health issues. We've been battling for months, if not years. We're battling cancer. We're battling diseases. We're battling aches and pains in our body and the the physical therapy, the chemotherapy, the, the medicines that we're taking are not working. And the darkness seems to be closing in. Many of us look around our city and think, what is happening? It's falling apart. It feels like a Delta Gotham where doctors are shot. In broad daylight, and young men are kidnapped. The darkness is closing in. Very much like the original audience that Peter is writing to, we too have darkness all around us. And we too need to have our hearts and our minds awakened to the promises of God. We can't sleepwalk through life anymore. And that is his goal here. To drill down on a promise. And that is my goal this morning for all of us to be awakened to a promise that God has made to us. And what is that promise? It's that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Our beloved Savior, our King, our Redeemer is going to return. And when He comes, He's going to bring the fullness of His kingdom. Where righteousness and holiness and justice rule and dwell over all things. And what Peter is telling us here this morning is that day, yes, will be thrilling and full of joy but also will be full of terror and dread. Because when Jesus comes back, he's coming in judgment. And he's going to burn off all the filth, all the rottenness, and all the decay in this world. Jesus is coming back. He's promised us. And that is the promise that Peter wants us to hear and wants our hearts to land on this morning. Two points for us. The first is this. Peter warns about certain things concerning that day. Peter has warnings here in this passage. But secondly, Peter describes that day. What is that day going to be like? So the warnings about that day and the description of that day. So let's look first at the warnings concerning that day. Look at verse 17 of our passage. It says, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Paul here at the very end is saying, listen, 
There's all kind of error around you. These lawless people, these, these false prophets are trying to persuade you. And if you give in to them, you're going to lose your stability. And there's two of them that he addresses here, uniquely in this passage. One, the first is don't give in to the scoffers. Look at, the verse, th- look at verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day, days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. As I've said, and as you heard last week preach, no doubt that Peter is referencing these false prophets that he talks about in chapter 2. And these false prophets are coming, and they're mocking these saints. They're mocking them that they would believe that Jesus would return. Look at verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What, What are you believing in, man? He's not coming back. If I was to translate this passage in modern day vernacular or language, I would say, hey guys, he ain't coming back. Yes, we were taught that the world, that he would come back and return as our fathers taught us to believe. And we hope for his return. And yet he's not here. Nothing has changed. He's not going to return. Give up. It's not going to happen. And these false prophets are mocking God's people and their belief that Jesus will return. Now, some of us have been mocked. Some of us know what it feels like to be mocked. If you don't know what it feels like to be mocked or experience being mocked or scoffed, very similar words, have you ever attended a Grizzlies game against the Lakers? Anybody? When all the Lakers fans show up and they're wearing all their jerseys and everybody that's wearing a Grizzly jersey is just, just mocking them right? You get that disgust inside of you toward them. That's what it means to scoff something or to mock. And these false prophets are disgusted and they're mocking these saints. Why? Because they believe that Jesus will return. And so how does Peter deal with these scoffers? What does he do? Well, he goes, very, he goes to the heart of our faith, which is the faithfulness and the inerrancy of God's word. He tells us that in verses 5 through 7 as he recalls what God has told us in the story of Noah. That God called Noah. God was fed up with all the filth, the decay, the sin, the rebellion of humanity. And he calls Noah and says, I'm going to judge the world. And I need you to go build a boat, a big boat. And for 40 days and 40 nights, what does God do? He brings rain. And rain comes down on the earth. And he judges all of humanity through a flood. And that's what the the scripture tells us. Because God told Noah that he would do it and God did it. He is a faithful God and we can trust his word. And after he, he did this judgment by water, he established a covenant. A covenant. And he says what? I will never again destroy this place by water. And I'll set a bow in the sky to let you know that I'm faithful to my promises. Peter is making the argument here that the word of God is faithful and true, that we can trust it. And just like the word of God told Peter and his people, listen, Noah heard the word of God that he would come and he would judge the world by water. Well, God is also through prophecy and predictions out of Isaiah chapter 66 predicted and prophesied that he's coming back. And he's going to rid the earth again 
of all its corruption and decay and sadness and sin, but he's not going to do it by water. He's going to do it by fire. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 66, verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Paul picks up on this prophecy and says the exact same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Peter is confronting these false prophets and these mockers of God's people with the truth of God, the very word of God. No. No. Jesus says he's coming back, and he's coming. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, 24 and 25, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the field. Flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. Peter knew that. Do you know that? Do you know that? That God's word is inerrant, infallible, faithful, and true. And what he says in his word will come to be. But there's a second warning that Peter gives to these mockers, these scoffers, uh, as they interact with God's people there. He's telling them, don't be passive. Look at verse 8 and following. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count his slowness. Peter here is talking to the church. He's not talking to the scoffers anymore, excuse me. He's talking to the church in their apathy. And he's recalling what Moses said in Psalm 90. You return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but yesterday when it has passed, or as watch in the night. Peter, through his letter, his writing, is confronting this, this sense of being asleep, this sense of apathy and passiveness about the return of Jesus. And we all know this experience, right? We've all been promised something, and it's been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, and it gets to the point where we just don't think it's ever going to happen. There's a certain kind of protein powder that I like to ingest. <laughs> uh, confession time. Uh, and I ordered it back in October. And month after month after month, I was informed it's on back order. We have it, it's on back order. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It hadn't come. It's not here. And that was in October. Now, you can guess the reality that I'm sitting in in relation to this company, which is, it ain't happening. It ain't coming. Maybe in, you in here are having something done to your house. Renovating it, building a house. And you know what this feels like. You're waiting for this, you're waiting for that, you're waiting for that. This tub, this shower head, this paint, this concrete. When is it going to happen? Everybody I talk to 
who is renovating a house or building a house has the same experience. Is it ever going to be finished? Right? We all know this experience. And when these promises that somebody makes to us are delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, we get this sense, is it ever going to happen? We become passive, even though we've been taught. We become apathetic. And we wonder, are they really going to be fulfilled? Jesus told us he was coming back. He hadn't come back yet. It's been thousands of years. Maybe this morning you're jaded and you're passive and you're apathetic toward that promise. But Peter here is trying to confront all of us in our apathy and calls us to awake again, to know Jesus has said he's coming back. And he's coming and he's coming soon. And so how, how does Peter address this apathetic attitude in these churches? Well, he takes on, he reminds them of God's perspective. That what seems long and never ending to us is short to God. He brings God's sovereignty to bear upon this church, upon this people. Reminding the readers that God exists outside of time. Time doesn't, uh, God is not controlled by time. He exists outside of time. Time serves his purpose, his purposes. It's not the other way around. Time is our concern because our lives are enveloped and constrained by time. And so that's why Peter tells us and refers to Moses that a thousand years is as one day to the Lord. But to us, it feels like forever. God is not slow to fulfill his promises. It's not that he's forgotten his promises. It's that he's patient, as Peter's telling us. He's patient toward his promises. Why is he patient? Why is he patient? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God hasn't forgotten his promises. God is not slow to his promises. God is going to fulfill his promises. His promise of returning. And he's slow, it seems slow to us. Why? Because he's loving. He wants more and more and more people to come to repentance, to turn from their sin and receive and rest in Christ alone. That is the heart of God. He wants more and more saints to praise his name on that day when he returns. There is still time. There's still time for people in your life. There might be, there's still time for you in the sanctuary this morning. If you don't know Jesus... If you haven't received and rested upon him alone for your salvation, there's still time. Why? Because God is patient because he's loving. He's calling to you this morning. He's calling to those that you love. He's calling to them to repentance. There is time. There's time for your friends. There's time for your coworkers. There's time for your family members. Take advantage of that. Talk to them about Jesus. He hasn't coming back because he wants you to do that. Because he wants more and more and more saints praising his name on his day of his return. Because he knows, and Peter knows, how dreadful that day will be. How dreadful and terrifying it will be. And that's where Peter goes. He describes that day as he continues to this passage. The first thing we see as he describes that day is it's coming like a thief in the night. 
Peter references chapter uh, verse 15 and says Paul and his writings concerning that day. I think Peter is referencing Paul and Paul writing about that in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's, a, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not all escape. The Lord's day will come, and it will come like a thief in the night. It will come sudden, and it will be shocking. This past week I got to attend a concert, an outdoor concert. And they're sitting in this arena or venue right before the concert starts. Everybody's watching this one large cloud that's very dark as it seems to be coming closer and closer to the venue. And everybody's looking at their phones and checking out their weather app. Is it going to be a thunderstorm? Is it going to be a deluge of rain? And the, cancel, and the concert has to be canceled. And we're all watching that cloud. And then, bang, lightning. A flash of lightning. And everybody in that venue did what? Ooh. That is what the day of the Lord will be. It will be like that. Like that. Like a thief in the night. Sudden and shocking. He will come. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Because it's going to surprise all of us. But secondly, he knows that day is going to be purifying and dreadful. Verse 10 tells us that it's going to be about melting and burning and dissolving and passing away. All these words that make us think that maybe God is going to, or Jesus is going to come back and he's going to burn up everything. He's going to burn it all. And then he's going to recreate it. Is that what he's talking about? No, I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. Because verse 7 tells us that he likens that day to the flood of Noah. Where God judged this world once before in water. He judged it in water and did away with all the filth and the rottenness and decay and sin and rebellion. And he tells us he's coming in judgment and destruction of what? In verse, uh, verse 6, of the ungodly. He's coming back not to destroy and burn up the earth. He's coming to judge the ungodly. And through his glory... And through fire, he's going to purify all things. We get that. We see that in verse, uh, we see that Peter uses this phrase, dissolve. Twice he uses that word. It means to loosen, to loose something, to set it free. Peter is saying through this fire, he's going to set free all the elements of this world that he created. And he's going to purify it. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God comes as a consuming fire to set everything free, to burn it all up, to burn off the dross, the impurities, the filth, the funk, all that stuff. And to reveal what? His beautiful and glorious creation again. To establish a new heavens, a new earth, a new place for us to dwell and reign for him. And the second time he's coming is not going to be like the first time. Because when God judged the earth in the flood, it still was backfilled. Sin still existed. But not this time. He's coming back and he's burning it all up. And it will never return. Because we, because God loves us 
and he's promised to establish his kingdom in all its fullness, in all its purity, in all its beauty here on earth. So he's going to purify things, and it's going to be dreadful because he's going to judge. He's coming as the great judge. We read about this in Matthew chapter 25, that he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. To the sheep, he's going to put on his right, and he's going to say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For the foundation of the world, well done, my good and faithful servants. But then he's going to look to the goats, the unbelieving and corrupt, and he's going to say, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and its angels. And all these will go away in eternal punishment where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. That day when Jesus returns, yes, will be purifying and it will be glorious, but it will be dreadful. It will be dreadful for those that don't profess Christ, that don't know Him, that don't rest and receive Him. And so what do we do with this? What do you and I do with this this day? Well, we do what Peter told us to do. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish or peace. Spot or blemish, that should sound uh, familiar to you. Here is Peter talking about kind of Christian perfectionism. Is he saying, go live your life in such a way where you are perfect. So when Jesus comes back, there is no spot. There is no blemish in your life. Well, we know that not to be true as we think about the testimony of our sin and our sinful nature. And so what is he talking about? I think he's referring back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, when he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The same exact language. So what is Peter talking about? Peter's talking about what he said at the very beginning of this letter. That he wants his people, these saints, to make their election sure. To make their election sure. And how are we to do that? He tells us by supplementing your faith with virtue. And with virtue, knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. With self-control, steadfastness. And with steadfastness, godliness. And with godliness, brother affection. And with brotherly affection, with love. What is Peter saying? He's saying, listen, we can't sleepwalk through life anymore. You can't, your faith can't simply be something you do on Sunday. It's more than that. We're to pursue virtue and godliness and holiness. Why? So that we grow up into Christ by faith. We look more like Him. And we become a better representative of Him in this world. Again, Peter is trying to awake his saints. And I'm trying to awake all of us. That our sanctification, our growth is very important, not just to you, but to all around you. We're to make our election sure as he closes out his letter, but grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to put effort into this thing called faith and walk with Jesus, battle sin, rest in him. In 1997, a band by the name of R.E.M. released an album called Document. And the fourth track on that album was the song that I used to title this sermon. It's the end of the world as we know it. If you were a child of the 90s, I'm sure you've heard that song. Like I was. It's a rapid-firing, quick-flying, paced song. 
with lyrics that seem like a stream of consciousness. Michael Stipe, the writer of that song, said this, The words come from everywhere. I'm extremely aware of everything around me, whether I'm in a sleep state, awake, dream state, or just day-to-day life. And what is he aware of in this song? He's aware that the end of the world is coming. It's coming. A music critic talking about the song has said this, When I perform, when perform live early on, the meaning of the song never quite permeated, permeated deep within the audiences. The song's high energy and fast pace made crowds want to party and let go. To the band, the subject of the matter was meant to be more sobering. To their fans, it was a dance-worthy tune. With such a catchy chorus, who can blame them? I remember exactly what he's talking about. When that song came out, I would dance to it, right? It was an energizing song in my car. But what is the chorus? The end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. Sometimes in life, especially in our faith, we can hear the music but not pay attention to the lyrics. And that's what Peter is trying to do this morning for you and for me. As we hear the music, the music of Jesus returning, the music of a new heavens and a new earth, the music that he's going to wipe away all sin and we're going to dwell with him forever with no more sadness, no more pain, no more heartache. We hear that music. But the lyrics also tell us he's coming in judgment. He's coming to judge this world. Do you hear the music? And are you paying attention to the lyrics? Because he's coming. I called my dad this week just to check in and say hi. And he had heard that I was preaching. He said, hey, what are you preaching on? I said, Dad, I'm preaching on the second coming of Jesus. I said, he's coming back. And my dad said, oh, good. Well, he just needs to come on. He just needs to come on. I said, Dad, he's coming. He's coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come in your beauty. Come in your power. Come in your strength and your judgment. Come and rid this world of all its sin and chaos and filth and rottenness and decay. Come and reveal the true sons of God. Come and be our God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. For we ask this in your name. Amen.